Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Ryan Anthony Hernandez. I'm the host of the Truth That Heals podcast. And fairly recently, about a week or two ago, I saw the film Shawshank Redemption. It was the first time I'd seen it. I had very few ideas of what this movie was about. I All I knew was that prison, escape, that was just about it. <laughs> Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen that movie. But there was a part there when you see characters from the movie being in solitary confinement. And as I was watching that, memories of the isolation that I endured in the Alliance community all came flooding back. Not just the memories, but also the emotions. It's just so, it's so crazy how powerful the mind can be and, you know, the body, you know, just seeing something, how it really, you know, I you can think of these memories, but the emotions that just came back and it's like, wow. So I wanted to share my story and my story is the, the, the way the solitary confinement was set up was, was set up in the way where you ask yourself, am I really in isolation? Am I really in solitary confinement? And so might as well just share about it and see what people think, see what people, um, opinions are and really i i don't care if um I, i don't care anymore to keep this a secret because i have been protecting these leaders these cult leaders protecting protecting their image but once i started speaking up There were so many people who attacked me, and I get it. But at this point, I really believe that it's important all the more to keep sharing my story. I could have stopped, but I want to talk about this. And the movie Shawshank Redemption, it just really hit a spot. So this part of my story takes place around... 2010 or 2011 and it was in dover delaware and at that time i was still fully in this community and i enjoyed it i enjoyed at that time for a while because the superior who was in charge of our community in dover delaware i felt that he was fair that he was respectful that he gave us Uh, the ability to express ourselves and to speak with him. And there was no like coercion. I, I didn't, I didn't feel any of that. So that's why sometimes in my talks, I really hesitate to call this outright a cult, but it is a cult. The only thing that I can say good about it is that there were good members who split off and rejected the culty tactics. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. So in 2010 or 2011, everything is going fine. I'm actually really enjoying it. But deep down, I have this feeling that this isn't for me. I feel that I have something else to do in my life. Not to be there, but because I have taken my my pledges or vows temporary, I'm obliged to stay there. At least that's how I felt. That's how they, they trained us at the time that once you say the words, you're here forever. You're here for life. Even though it says for two or three years, they made us feel like those vows that we had taken were absolute and we couldn't escape it. So might as well make the best out of it. But then there came a superior 
who was, I'm going to be honest, a total kiss ass to Father Bing. And I'm not sure if he was scatterbrained or if he was just a bad person, but you can really see that he was very spontaneous in his decision making. He was all over the place and he really showed that he didn't give a damn about the members. And so I tried to tread carefully, just mind my own business, do my things. But then there was some stuff that didn't make sense. And I would, you know, question or I would say something. And I thought this is a Christian Catholic community. It should be all good. But um, when you're in a cult or in a culty environment, you know that you need to keep your mouth shut because then punishments or revenge or something is going to come and bite you in the ass. But I didn't see it like that. I thought we can be open and be adults. So one day, Father Bing, who was the founder of the community, decided, all right, I'm going to give the obedience to all the communities that they have to set up a permanent adoration chapel. And I'm speaking in simple terms. So a adoration chapel for Catholics is where uh, we have the Eucharist and someone is expected to be there in prayer throughout the day. So there are, like in the parishes and the churches, many of them have it. And uh, there are people who come in and out uh, throughout the day. But it was expected to be us, the 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 community and the thing is that we're only so few and at the same time we are given obedience to either be formators or to be missionaries so on one hand we're given these tasks to really go out and you know hit the quotas for the house to house evangelism or to do the vigils or whatever that father being wanted us to do and at the same time, we had to be in the adoration chapel all day. And it was hard because there's only so few of us. And, you know, 24 hours in a day, you have to really keep someone in there at all times. And someone written rules about the adoration chapel is that when you're in there, you cannot fall asleep. Because you're in the presence of God. So if you fall asleep, sin, automatic sin. <laughs> Father Bing would say it's desecration. Another thing is that you can't turn your back. Uh, so even like while you're leaving, you have to walk backwards. Because if you turn your back to leave, you're turning your back on God. And... That's a big no-no. Again, desecration, straight to hell kind of thing. So it was difficult because, and this is, this is again, the part of the culty side. Because they give you all of these tasks. They give you all of these things to do. And you're going to fail. Or you're, you're not going to reach a standard. And so Father Bing is like, oh, how come there are only two house-to-house evangelists? evangelizations this month our brothers here are lazy he would say if if you're not hitting the quotas it's because you lack faith because you lack a prayer life and so it's really a damned if you do damned if you don't but no matter how hard you try there always be a way that father Bing would find mistakes or find imperfections and so I saw the struggle in the missionaries in the community trying to to do their their obligations as missionaries or as teachers or formators, whatever. And then they have to get pulled out of whatever they're doing to then take care of the adoration chapel and stay in there <laughs> for a few hours. So it was a dilemma. 
and then we had we started having farm animals so then we got to take care of the farm animals and there's only so few brothers <laughs> but like father bing it's like everything like anything he'll read or see like a conspiracy theory or he'll read something of a saint that has to do with mysticism he'll adapt it and he's like yeah we got to do this we got to do that anything that he sees that is like holy he'll like take it and he'll run with it and then you know go to an extreme and one of the teachings that we had i'm trying to i'm trying to build up before i really get to that isolation and solitary confinement but one of the teachings that we had was father bing would teach us victimhood and so it's not the same victimhood that you might see on i don't know youtube probably um about like uh complaining about everything um the victimhood i guess it's like a catholic victimhood but i'm not really sure because i've never really heard anyone else talking about it and that's why it's so special because it's father bing's so the way victimhood is described theologically by father bing in a nutshell is jesus suffered um so therefore we are expected to suffer with him to unite our sufferings with christ on the cross the only problem is we're also trained to seek suffering we're trained to look for the more painful ways the more difficult ways because by doing that you are becoming a victim soul and with becoming a victim soul father being would have this he would have this like saying and we would have to repeat after him it was something like uh more pain and we'd we'd of course repeat more pain more gain more gain and it would go go on so more pain more gain uh more gain uh more purchasing power more purchasing power more souls saved more souls saved more honored to marry more honored to marry more glory to god more glory to god more saints in heaven something like that so like the idea the gist of father bing's version of victimhood is that the more pain you get it's like a bank a bank account your bank account gets bigger and bigger and then with this bank account you can prevent souls from going to hell so it wasn't really i don't i don't feel it to be totally catholic in that sense it, i think it theologically it kind of went off i'm not a theologian but dude i i do know my catholic faith enough now where things like this are it's okay to scrutinize it at that time you're not allowed to scrutinize it because father bing he's the man anything that comes from father bing you have to latch on to it and respect it and honor it and it cannot be scrutinized because he sees himself from what i saw i'm not going to personally say that i can read his mind but from what i saw and from the things that he said i'll give you an example he said once or maybe a few times actually that he is the charismatic founder of this community and that as a charismatic founder the holy spirit gives him gives the founder a direct channel a, a, a direct gift and that gift that the holy spirit gave father bing was victimhood and so anyone who questions or anyone who goes against it who goes against this charism this gift of victimhood according to father bing is committing a sin that cannot be forgiven and that person whether it be a priest a bishop uh, anyone will go to hell and he explained because christ said that the only sin that cannot be forgiven is a sin against the holy spirit and because the holy spirit has given the charismatic founder this gift referring to himself the charismatic founder since the holy spirit gives it to him he says that no one else can question it or change it and they will be they're, they're going to go to hell that's what that's what he said 
I kid you not. And so anyone, even the church, even the Catholic church, if they're like bishops who are like, mm, we don't kind of agree with the way you're theologically, uh, your thoughts are kind of uh, are forming. To the members in secret, he would tell us, oh, see this persecution. They're trying to bring us down. See how the enemy is out to get us. But just remember that if you stay faithful to the charism, you're going to go to heaven. So it's really a gift. So now going back to the Adoration Chapel, because I wanted to give you kind of a perspective of how we saw suffering. And so we received this obedience to set up this permanent Adoration Chapel where someone has to be there at all times. And at the same time as missionaries, yeah, you're expected to live up to your missionary lifestyle and you're expected to pray 10 rosaries throughout the day. You're expected to write at least six journal pages. You're expected to do to wake up at 1245 a.m. to be in the Adoration Chapel at 1.30, to get out of the Adoration Chapel around 7 in the morning because you've, you've done your morning prayers, do chores, then go back to Adoration Chapel at noon Pray your daytime rosary and um, stations of the cross, maybe. And then go back to doing your duties. And then at 6 p.m. or 4 p.m., you come back, do Vespers, which is like another hour and a half or two hours. And then some journal writing again. And then lights out were around 9 or 10. And then again, repeat, wake up at 12.45. So it was an in insane lifestyle. And you're not allowed to complain. You're not allowed to express anything. And I wanted to give you a, I'm going to read from the actual constitution from article 29 of the constitution. And it's titled meritorious obedience. And it says here, quote, in considering the superiors who command the oblate apostle must rejoice in having a strict superior so that he may really grow in faith and obedience to God. In the manner of giving the command, the, wait for it, the victim's soul will rejoice when the manner the superior gives the commands are even harsh, humiliating, or uncharitable, end quote. So with that article in our constitution, Meritorious Obedience, it's giving the green light for many superiors to be uncharitable, to be extremely strict, to be humiliating because you're not allowed to question. And then the next article, uh, if I can remember, was uh, I think it was it was titled, yes, preventive maintenance of obedience. So I don't have the full article for that constitution number, but I, what it says there from you know going off of memory and going off of the the bits and notes i have for the preventive maintenance of obedience even when the command is harsh humiliating you're expected to die to your emotions you cannot show emotion you cannot speak back you cannot express yourself you're expected to do what you're told to do it promptly execute the obedience without murmur without anything and just get it done because that's what god wants for you so i want people to understand what was my frame of mind what was the frame of mind of the other members because years later people were asking me ryan why didn't you speak up earlier well i couldn't because at that time if i speak up I'm breaking a an article of the Constitution, preventive maintenance, and I'm making the community look bad. So I, I can do that. Plus, it says here that the victim's soul rejoices. The victim's soul will rejoice when the manner the superior gives the commands are even harsh, humiliating, or uncharitable. So now going back to the Adoration Chapel. You see, we're always trying to do our obediences. If you don't do your 10 rosaries, sin. You're, you're imperfect. You have to confess your imperfections. You have to confess your failures. If you woke up late, no breakfast, sometimes no lunch. Just, so just 
it was just this system of making you feel like a failure pretty much but we tried and i don't hate the brothers i don't hate the priests there are some priests there or the, the ones who split off from father bing who are amazing they're totally good people and i respect them and they respected me so that's cool that that's all right with me but there were others there going back to that one superior 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 whom I said seemed kind of like a scatterbrained and seemed like he just didn't really give a damn about the members you really had to tread carefully around him so one day now getting into it one day father jose i'm giving the name father jose made the announcement after our morning prayers he said Yesterday, Brother Joseph, and if you don't know, Brother Joseph was my name, my nickname at the time. Brother Joseph came to me yesterday and requested to be a victim soul. And he requested to be a permanent adorer in the chapel. And though he looks at me and he goes, Brother Joseph, yes, I grant your request. So from now on, Brother Joseph will be in the Adoration Chapel as the full-time adorer, the full-time person to be in the chapel, so that the other missionaries and brothers, they can go on and do their tasks. And Brother Joseph will be the victim soul to stay here. And I was completely stunned because I had never requested this. I had always wanted to be a missionary. I had always wanted to do something you know, what I signed up for, I expected to do what I signed up for. And I hadn't really been doing it. And then they give this announcement and it was just so shocking that he just lied about me requesting. He just lied in front of the whole community in the chapel. I mean, gosh, you know, they teach respect and, you know, reverence to the Eucharist. And then there you go, you know making things up in the very place where it's expected to be holy. So he made this announcement and my life just crumbled in shock because I had to keep a smile on my face and be, oh, glory to God, rejoice, I'm a victim soul. And interiorly, I was thinking, why are you doing this to me? Why <laughs> what's what's going on what i never i never asked anything but looking back i think it was a punishment because i was very at times open and i i felt that you know we can talk about things like adults and i started slowly opening my eyes to realize no you can't talk like adults to these people to those who kiss father bing's ass no you can't because they'll turn they'll turn their back on you. They'll smile. Oh, hi. Oh, thank you. They'll turn their back and they'll give you an obedience. That's going to be humiliating, uh, very punishing. And you can't say anything or you can't even react because of Articles 30 and 31 of the Constitution. So I was really stuck. And I didn't know what to do. So I'm going to be diving deeper now into another layer on how it was inside the Adoration Chapel being isolated from the community. After that announcement was made, I was expected to stay in the Adoration Chapel at all times. Pretty much at all times. Like I said, our sleep was around 10 p.m. 9 or 10 p.m. depends. Wake up at 12.45 uh, to get ready for Adoration at 1.30 in the morning. And then from there, you, you're in adoration from 1.30 until around 7 when morning prayers is finished. So you pray for a long time, quite a few hours. And usually what would happen is uh, we would designate people throughout the day to, to stay in prayer. So after adoration would end, after morning prayers would end around 7 o'clock, like we would make a schedule. So, okay, from 7 to 9, 
it'll be brother Tim from uh, 9 to 11. It'll be brother Abraham, whatever, just for an example. So it would be there. There'd be someone in there uh, throughout the whole day. Even during the night. But with this announcement, there wasn't any more schedule. Sometimes there was. They'd, you know, allow, you know, have the brothers come in. But I remember that first day. It's like, all right, so the rest of us will we'll go do our chores, we'll go do our errands, and Brother Joseph will stay here permanently. And so there I stayed. And it wasn't one hour. It wasn't two hours. It was <laughs> it was all day. If I needed to use the restroom, I had a little bell and I'd ring it. Sometimes I'd ring it for 30 minutes until someone would come. I try to stay awake because I'm in the presence of God and I can't sleep. Because if you sleep, it's a desecration. It's a sin. They removed recreation and that was one of my favorite things, you know, playing basketball with the other brothers. But the only positions your body can be in in the Adoration Chapel are standing, sitting, kneeling, or prostrating. So as the days went on, and I'd be in there from 1.30 until 10, 9 or 10 p.m., there came a point where I felt like I was going crazy. Because I, I wanted to, I would hear sometimes the brothers outside playing basketball and cheering and having fun. Or sometimes they would have events where people would come and I can hear them. I can hear like the forks and the spoons moving around. And I just felt so depressed. I felt so alone. And I couldn't open up about it because I have to be a victim soul. I can't question, I can't say anything, I have to respect. But deep down, I was dying. Deep down, I was really killing myself. Because this isn't what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to be a monk. I didn't sign up to be a freak show. Because sometimes I would hear, there would be like visitors, and I would hear other members say, Oh, that's Brother Joseph over there. He's the, you know, he's the permanent adorer here. He's in the Adoration Chapel all day. And I'm expected to have this, like this holy glow and to be in prayer and meditation. And I'm I'm putting this on, but I really feel like, dude, I don't even want to be here, Lord. I mean, I love prayer. I, I still do, you know, I still take my time to pray. But they made prayer a punishment. It's a spiritual abuse. And so I'd be there, I'd be stuck in there, and I felt like someone being drowned. You know, when you put someone's head in the in the I don't know, in the pool or in the ocean, you have them drowning. And then you pull that head out so that they can breathe. That's what happened. That's what happened in this community. Because when that bad superior would leave, then the good one would be in charge, and he'd give me, you know, he'd allow me to eat with with the members for a little bit. I can eat with them because on other days I would eat my I would eat on my own. They would leave the food on a table outside the adoration chapel but i can't reach for it because it's a desecration because i have to be in adoration chapel at all times i can't look away from the eucharist i can't sleep but yeah i did sleep a lot because it's impossible so you're i'm in there by myself most of the times but then so like i'm saying i feel like i'm getting drowned and i get pulled out to breathe because this this other superior wasn't as you know, it wasn't ruthless at all. And I felt that he really showed or he tried to show compassion and he, his hands were tied too because <laughs> he's not the main superior. And then I would be allowed again. It was cool. I would be allowed again to go to the homes of people. We're not like Jehovah's Witnesses where we'd go to like random strangers. 
uh, we'd go to people in the community, like other Catholics. We'd go to the house and just pray with them. And I really, I really liked that. And then there'd be food. And it was cool. And it was very welcoming and very, very chill. So I was allowed to do that once a week with the Italian community. And it was just so beautiful to just pray with them and just uh, hear them talking. And they'd talk about so many things, so many different subjects. And, of course, there'd be politics and then there'd be all these other things. And I didn't know what was going on in the world, so I really embraced it. I embraced that an hour, that one hour or two hours once a week or once every two weeks because after that, I'd have to go back to the Adoration Chapel and be in silence and be there again from from 1.30 in the morning to 10 p.m. And since I would, there were times, but that was just so limited. And then the, the, the main superior, not Father Bing, but Father Jose would come and it's like, no, you got to go back there. So I'd be stuck in adoration. And I can't complain because it's, I remember once I did complain. It's like, hey, look, I'm I'm having a hard time here. I I don't want to I don't want to wake up at one thirty in the morning or at twelve forty five to be in that adoration chapel from one thirty in the morning. Well, why not? Well, because everyone else, y'all get to enjoy the rest of the day. Y'all get to have community meals. Y'all get to have community recreation, and I'm stuck in there. And the response is. You don't want to be with Jesus. You don't want to. You're complaining about being a victim soul. You're complaining about saving souls because that's what you're doing. And so I was so limited. I felt so lost. It's like, why am I being punished? But it. But in their eyes, in the way Father Bing taught us, you're not being punished. You're being. You're being given a gift. Suffering is a gift. You are saving souls. You are bringing people to heaven. So if you complain, if you complain about it, you lose all your merits. So it's like, dude, I I can't be honest. I can't be transparent because the more transparent you are, the more you say, hey, this is bullshit. You guys are spiritually abusing me here. You're psychologically abusing me here. If you say that, something worse is going to happen to you. <laughs> I was learning that. And so I'd be in that, in that adoration chapel, and like I said, the movements I can do are very limited. And I would hear the brothers outside playing basketball, and and I'm happy for them. You know, they're those are my brothers. Up to now, you know, i not in the best terms with some of them, but those are my bros. It's like being in in an army or something. You know, you really have this bond. I really, I really love them. I really watched out for them. So even though I was in the Adoration Chapel, I still prayed for them. But I was just so defeated. And hearing them, you know, yelling and cheering and, you know, playing basketball, it was just such a pain. It was a martyrdom for me. And since I couldn't, at this time, I'd probably been in there for like eight months. And I remember I had to make my own physical recreation, but I couldn't because you can't really do much. So the only positions you can do are kneel and stand and prostrate. So I would, I can't do squats. I can't do a push up. So I would like kneel and stand up and. I would walk backwards because they have like a small aisle. I would I'll take like five steps forwards, five steps backwards. That's all I can do. And I had I had to do it for my sanity because there's no no other way. I, there's nothing else I can do. So I go I go I'd walk five steps forwards, five steps backwards, kneel, stand, kneel, stand, then walk forwards again, five steps, kneel, stand. That was my recreation. And I, I would see the food on the side, <laughs> outside, and it's like, man, I really want to eat that food, but I can't reach it. So I'd ring the bell, or like they, like I said earlier, sometimes they would arrange people to go to adoration. So I'd go in, and so they they would switch me at times, 
or I'd ring the bell so I can use the bathroom and I'd get something to eat real quick, get a quick coffee, come back. But it was just so painful and this is so isolating. And you feel like you're being shunned, but they're telling you this is a gift from God. And so I wanted to talk about this because it's really abusive. And I'm aware that Father Bing, or I don't want to say Father Bing, Father Jose has done it to someone else in Alabama. At least one person. At least. Is he doing it now still? It could be. I'm aware. Or that news has reached me. And so a lot of people who are listening might be family members of the members who were in there. I want you to know that maybe your son or daughter or brother or sister, maybe they came back maybe a little bit quiet. Maybe they came back a little bit distant. But I want you to understand that some of us, not all of us, but some of us really went through hell in there. We're really trained not to trust ourselves. We're really trained not to express ourselves. And so I'd be in that cell, in that prison, and they, they would call it the prison of love. I'd be in that prison. <laughs> I'd be in that prison of love, just so frustrated. And then again, as I'm drowning, I get I get taken out. And then they allowed me to be a teacher at school in Philadelphia. I knew that was also another painful experience because it's like, I'm not even, I wasn't even a high school graduate. And there I'm, I go there once or twice a week, teach the kids for a little bit, then come back home. And again, silence. I'm a nobody to the community. I'm, I'm not even a number. I'm a nobody. I'm just there just to be an adoration. I was losing my mind. And the worst thing is that if you share about it, if you talk about it, if you say, hey, look, this is painful. I don't know what to do. They're going to hammer it in your head. Well, that's your cross, Brother Joseph. That is your cross. You need to accept it. You need to offer it up to God because if you complain, you're losing graces. But they use that as a way to control you, as a way to manipulate what you want to do with your life. Because I wanted, I wanted to get the hell out of there. It's like, hey, I, this isn't, this isn't right. Me staying in here all day and then I can't sleep. And then there came a point where I started not really giving a damn. And so I, I uh, there, we had a big image of a big. Uh, like a poster of the Virgin Mary or a big statue. I don't really remember, but I remember hiding snacks behind it. I would, ha I would have like a little banana or like some chips that I would find in the, in the pantry because I couldn't do anything. I mean, like I couldn't just walk out and uh, go to the pantry, even though it was like just a few feet away. I couldn't do that because if I do oh, desecration straight to hell, I mean, man, so I guess like the the least, I mean, not to sin as much because you can't leave the chapel. I would, you know, bring the, the food there. But if I were to be caught, you know, I was thinking, dude, what's the punishment going to be? But I had to eat because they, they really made this. I was just so lost. Not eating with the brothers. I felt like. I had lost that nourishment because people who know me, I, I love to travel. I love to meet people. I love to party and hang out, but I also love to pray. I love to have a meditation and spiritual side, but they just erased all that. It's like, no, you have to be a robot. You have to be in the prayer chapel. You can't talk. You can't look at people. If people look at you, you have to look down. And so I wanted to talk, about that because watching Shawshank Redemption I was in that position where I was just so alone and if you look at the movie if you watch the movie there's that 
that first character, I think his name is Brooks. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but when he was freed from prison, what does he do? He falls into despair. He falls into this extreme depression, not knowing what the hell am I going to do with my life. And so I be in the chapel all day and I didn't I didn't want to leave anymore. I got so used to just being quiet. I got so used to being a prisoner. I got so used to just accepting the punishments and saying this is God's will for me. There's nothing I can do about it. I have to embrace it. I have to rejoice. And I would read the articles, Article 30, Article 31, Article 29, whatever. And I would try my best to live up to it. But a part of me wanted to escape. A part of me wanted to leave. But I really, I really saw myself in that character, uh, Shawshank Redemption, the one who sees no purpose in life anymore. And so I saw no purpose leaving that place. I didn't have a high school degree. I didn't know how to drive a car. Everyone else was evil. Everyone else was a Freemason. If I talk about how painful this is, I'm going to get demonized. I'm already getting demonized here. I'm already, I'm already getting shunned. I'm not allowed to really be with the members. Very limited and depends on who the superior is. And if it's, if it's that... That mean one, I'm gonna, you know, get more punishments. So I, I felt very lost. But then one day, now here's a little turn in the story. I got told, I got told, <laughs> I received the obedience that I was going to be going to Puerto Rico because, and this is the only reason why, because I spoke Spanish and I hadn't spoken Spanish in several years. I had always been around. English speaking, so it was very difficult. So I go to Puerto Rico for a couple of weeks. Everything is going fine. But then I got in an argument with one of the sisters there. It was, I was just defending myself. She was talking a lot of shit. And I had to put her, I had to have her understand that I'm not going to be a punching bag. I'm not going to be, you know, bending over and, you know, receiving these verbal assaults all day and just be, you know, a victim soul. I was like, hey, what the hell is your problem? And so we had a little argument. And then in the end, you know, I had to leave Puerto Rico uh, a week or two early, which pissed me off all the more. It's like, dude, like, I finally get my chance to get out of adoration to do what I signed up to do. And so I go to Puerto Rico and then like this sister who's being a complete power controlling freak is verbally assaulting me or harassing me. And then I stand my ground and say, Hey, I'm not going to tolerate this. And then I get in trouble. So I get kicked. I get sent back to, to Dover, Delaware and I'm in adoration again. All right, cool. You know, that's that's part of the plan. I'm the, the plan was I'm just going to I'm just going to go to Puerto Rico for a little bit just for a week or two to uh to do these missions, to to do my job over there. But the expectation was I'm going to come back and go to adoration again and be in the in the prison of love. But then the the SIF, that's the name of the community. The Sith, they were they they brought up something to the superior. It looks like Brother Joseph isn't following the prayer routine that is mandatory for the adoration chapel. So we had booklets that people were expected to do when they would go in there, but not not that many people would go <laughs> go in the chapel, it was just our community. And so the expectation is when you go in adoration, you pray your rosary. After your rosary, you do um, uh, praise and worship. And then after praise and worship, you do a Bible reading and you reflect on the Bible and write in your journal. 
Okay, and that's supposed to take up the one hour. So the Sith were like, it appears that Brother Joseph isn't doing the routine. Since he is the permanent adorer, he has to be an example. So then it came back to me that, hey, you know, the Sith are complaining again that you, uh, you're not doing the correct adoration routine. So from now on, you have to follow the booklet. So from that moment, every hour I'm expected to, to pray the rosary, to do praise and worship, to read the Bible, the gospel of the day, and to make a reflection or to write in my journal and to do it over and over and over and over from 1.30 in the morning to 10 p.m. Day after day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second, and I was losing myself. It, it's, it's solitary confinement. I had no one to really talk to. It's like you're drowning, then they, they pull you out before you can totally drown, and they give you that little band-aid of doing some missions or postulates here and there, and then once that's done, you get your ass back in the chapel, shut your mouth, pray, uh, suffer for the, for the salvation of souls, and and keep your mouth quiet. So it's like, I was just so lost. And now I was, expe I was expected to do hour after hour the same prayer throughout the day, all day. And I, I was so happy because sometimes people would come to replace me. And I, I remember on one instance, there was this brother. I'm not going to say his name, but he, it looked like he always avoided staying in there in the Adoration Chapel. Because he was always busy with banking or he was always busy, busy doing something. So one day I rang the bell that I had to go to the bathroom and he was like, oh, but hurry up. Okay. And I'm thinking, all right, that's, that's how you're going to be. You know, you know, I'm stuck in there all day. So he goes in the, in the chapel, he brings his laptop and he's working on his computer on his laptop while in, in the adoration chapel. And I'm kind of thinking, all right, so these are the rules that I have to be quiet. I have to uh, be prayer, prayer all day. And here you are coming in the chapel with the laptop. All right, that's how it is. All right, then. So after I used the restroom, I went upstairs and took a nap. And I <laughs> and I can hear him like ringing the bell, you know, like come on, because he can't leave now. Because if he leaves, that's a desecration. Um, so it was just so 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 funny for me because it's like okay. And then he was complaining because I I did wake up finally after like forty five minutes, and I came back and he was like complaining, man, you've been gone for too long. You know, I I have things to do, and I'm thinking. I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, wow, you're complaining because you're in there for 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, I got to be in there all day. <laughs> so this is what I just wanted to share. I was in that place of just so much despondency, so much hopelessness. And this is what spiritual abuse looks like. They say, oh, this is good for you. Uh, you have to abide by these rules and life is going to be just nice and dandy. But if you are suffering from it, you have a problem. That's what they, that's what they were telling me. That because I was expressing that it was hard for me, it's because I lacked faith. And so I really felt so close to that character in Shawshank Redemption at that time. I wanted my life to end. It's like, what's the point of living? I mean, this is it. All right, well. But of course, you know, I'm still around. Happily. And there's another character in Shawshank Redemption. The one who dreams. The one who dreams of freedom. The one who dreams of a new life. The one who dreams of seeing the ocean. Of going places. And for the longest time, I couldn't see myself be happy. I had to see myself suffering. I had to see myself in pain and agony because that's what I thought a victim's soul was. Someone who was suffering and in agony, 
interiorly, but outwardly, I have to have a smile and say, I rejoice. I love this. But I was killing myself. And so this episode has actually been harder for me to make. Because I am I had to think about it for the for the past two weeks. And I've even written down so much, so many notes and you know, gathering my thoughts. But just the memories were just so painful, so depressing. And I want to give a a thank you to those brothers. Uh, most of I think all of them are gone also. They also left. But while in there, they really they really gave me the strength to they really showed that they cared I'll just say it like that they really showed that they they weren't there to put me down and they really consoled me you know through their you know cheering me on and through their support even when I left you know they really supported me and cheered me on I'm very thankful to them because if it wasn't for even just a little support or sometimes even just a random phone call, you know, that depression can just go deeper and deeper. And so that's it for today. Um, I just wanted to share my story. I wanted to share what I went through. And yeah, maybe there are some things that I'm not um, talking about as deeply, but I just wanted to share how painful it was, how depressing how lost I felt being in isolation, feeling like everyone hated me, feeling like God hated me, feeling like I was meant to just, I was created just to suffer. And how Father being created this environment where you can't speak up, you can't share what you're going through, but he's wrong. We are, we all have we all deserve healing. We all deserve a voice. And that's it for today. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and this has been an episode on the Truth That Heals podcast. Hello, everyone. Ryan Hernandez here. I'm the host of the Truth That Heals podcast. If you would like to support the work that I'm making here on the podcast, I would really appreciate if you go to my YouTube channel and hit subscribe. Every subscription really helps me out in my journey. And also, if you like the content that I'm putting up and would like to support my journey, I'll be leaving links to my Cash App and to my Venmo. I've canceled my Patreon. It's just too much work. It's just too much, and I just can't keep up with, with doing a Patreon. So I have a, a cash app and a Venmo if you really would like to help me out. I really appreciate it. And if you just want to listen, then go ahead and listen and enjoy my podcast. Feel free to reach me at uh, on my Twitter, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, Truth That Heals. And also on my Instagram, which is Truth That Heals Pod. Feel free to uh, email me also at truththatheheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much.